is According to Callus. This is episode 126, and quite literally, it is a Theology Thursday. Why, you might ask? Well, I'm going to be starting a theology class tonight through my church, and it's going to basically be the entry level, or maybe a base level, intro to theology class. And I got to tell you, I'm really kind of excited and interested about this. Why? Well, you know, when you're raised up in the church, you're never really in a position to where you can have an open discussion or even debate on the why and the how of the faith. Now, I grew up in a kind of an independent church, so... You know, it was a little different, but I'm sure if you're Lutheran or Presbyterian or one of the other mainline denominations, um, they have catechism class and they have all these different things. I know certainly the Catholic Church does. And that's supposed to teach you the basic tenets of the faith and the undergirding, basically uh, a question and answer format so that you understand this is a common question. This is the answer. I don't know if that's better or not because I didn't experience it. But I suspect actually being able to say, well, I know this is the question and this is the answer that I'm taught. And I can take a little reason, a little logic and spend some time with that and kind of say, well, yeah, that makes sense. Or no, I don't quite understand this. And maybe explore it a little bit on your own. I know the whole tenant of, uh, I think they called it the quadrilateral, included reason, revelation, and then experience. So, and there was a fourth one, which I can't think of off the top of my head, so I apologize. If it's come to me while I'm talking, I'll blurt it out, I'm sure. So, I'm thinking, well, if we use reason, which we believe God gave us so that we can better understand the world around us, it would seem that we should be able to follow the thought process or patterns of those church fathers that came up with some of the explanations of the faith. There should really be no fear here. So what I'm getting at is this should really be commonplace. This should be something that happens Actually, for a younger age at every church, I mean, if you're confident in your belief system, if you're confident in your faith, which I am, then having that discussion, having this education, having the confidence in what you believe, the open study should build upon that. Now, I know there's people that fall away. I know there's people that are raised up in the church and yeah, I'm leaving. And the worst example of Christianity is the Christians I grew up with. Yeah, I've heard that too. I know people that grew up in the church, went to Christian school, Christian church, and get older. And eh, you know what? It's just unsatisfying. I'm going to try this or I'm going to try that. I'm going to enjoy this deviation from normal, healthy lifestyle. And the commentary used to be, well, they'll always come back, right? They, they'll stray away, but they'll come back. If you raise them up right, they know the truth and they'll return to it. And I guess by and large, that was true for a while. But as the generations have gone by, 
and particularly in America or Europe, faith became less important. It became less a focus of the family, less of the rallying cry of uh, community. And as generations see that their parents or their grandparents don't take their faith seriously, then they begin to say to themselves, well, why should I? If, if they, my parents, my grandparents don't care, why should I? Well, I mean, they tell me I got to go to Sunday school, but clearly my, the example that I'm seeing indicates that they don't believe it either. Now, I suppose you should here, once again, that I'm not blaming any one person and I'm not pointing a finger at any one person. If anything, I'm standing in front of the mirror, looking at my reflection, wondering, how am I equally guilty of this? Where have I failed? So that reflection is what drives some of the interest in better understanding theology. Now I have what I would consider a rudimentary understanding. I have the basic college education, which kind of touches on this, particularly with the classes I took. But I but I really want to spend some more time with it. I want to understand. Now, keep in mind, I, I know that some of my audience really could care less. Some people are going, oh, boring. Oh, I'm turning this guy off. Or they're already checked out mentally. But just follow along for just a few more minutes here because this is going to turn. So if you believe something, you ought to be able to articulate the why and the how of what you believe. It doesn't really matter what you believe in. If you can't explain it, it's probably not real. I mean, I'm sure that Muslims have their faith down. I'm sure some of the Hebrews or the Jewish folks have their faith down. Um, to a lesser extent, you know, maybe a Buddhist or a Hindu will understand their faith. But Christians don't really seem to do this well, particularly in Western culture. And there's this drift, right? So our parents don't really care. Our grandparents didn't really care. We were raised this way, but now we're just going to go try this. We're going to do this. But perhaps we should consider the idea that had we been teaching the tenets of faith, had we been teaching an understanding of what the theology is that we subscribe to, had we had that interaction, maybe those young people of today would have a better understanding and be less likely to drift away. Notice I said less likely. There's always been a tendency as a person becomes an adult from being a child, that they want to try their own way. They want to understand things. They want to own their own world, if you will. And they certainly want to develop their own worldview. And if you've had it pushed upon you in a way that didn't allow for you to question it or didn't allow for you to partake in the understanding, your natural reaction is, well, I'm not interested in this. I want to go check this stuff out. And again, I don't fault that. I I don't think that's even a bad thing necessarily, but it can have some negative consequences. So let's say for sake of argument, you did everything right from the uh, Orthodox Christian view, uh, you know, 
you raised your children in a God-fearing home. You took them to church on Sunday. You did them on Wednesday night. Maybe you put them in a Christian school. Maybe you homeschooled them. Either way, you were reinforcing the things that they were being taught on Sunday and Wednesday. And you were living a life similar to that. I think it's safe to say that as long as the children grow up in that and they actually take ownership of that, they're going to be on board with what their parents believe, right? They're going to feel like those are satisfactory answers and I'm comfortable with my faith. What? It, and again, I, I'm explicitly coming from the Christian worldview, but I would imagine this holds true for a number of other faiths, okay? So j- just go along with me for here a couple more minutes, I promise. But let's say you didn't have the option of homeschooling, or you didn't have the option of private school, and you sent your kids off to government school. Now, at the government school, they were taught an entirely different theology. They were taught an entirely different worldview. Now, maybe you could say back in 1950, the two were sympathetical, right? They were closely aligned, but certainly by the 80s, they had drifted apart and, and certainly now i mean they're not even they're not even slightly resembling one another yet quote unquote good, good parents i'm not even see now we're drifting out of the christian thing right not even just christian parents just good parents they send their children to school and for the purpose of the discussion, we're going to say that these parents are anywhere to right of center on the paradigm of the political spectrum. And their parents are trusting that they're getting a good education, right? They're, they're going to be able to go to college or they're going to grow up knowing how to reading and writing and math and science and, and um, maybe understanding a little logic. They're coming away with the ability to think on their own. Now imagine the shock of these same parents this last year when they actually found out what little Mary and little Johnny were being taught. In my mind, nothing good. Certainly nothing that would reinforce what mom and dad were teaching at home, what the grandparents believed. They were teaching a different theology. They were essentially teaching the idea that government is God. And I'm going to say government was God with a small g, but basically you're to go to government with all your problems, all your concerns and all your worries and government was going to solve it for you. And not just any government, but our government, our utopian democracy, our whatever we taught you it is because we're government and we're there for you. Even when your parents are not there, we are there. When your church or your extended family is not there, we are there. This is the kind of stuff they're being taught. They're being taught a different theology. So, like I said, going back to the average parent, somebody that's to the right side of the political spectrum here, right of center. And and I would even go so far as to throw, say, 20% of those that are left of center. These kids come home and they're shocked to see and hear this theology that's being taught in their schools. Now, the other thing that I should point out when you're teaching a child, there are, 
not really encouraged to ask questions. They're not really given an opportunity to ask why or to understand it. They're basically rewarded to accept it without thinking, without questioning. Indeed, they're they're taught how to be good little automatons, little robots. And this goes on for a generation after a generation after a generation. And whereas maybe 50 years ago, it wasn't noticeable. Back in the 80s, it was noticeable, but it was not troublesome or worrisome. But now, now they've gone full off the rails with some kind of very odd orthodoxy. Some creatively uh, made up theology. This theology, this foreign theology, is in conflict with the things that we have taught our children or that we should have been teaching our children. It displaces the existing dynamic. It basically belittles or eliminates the need for family. It reinterprets the idea of community. It, it distorts the family value, right? But Again, because we tolerated, because we didn't really know what we were allowing, this went on for decades. And the third generation is now basically being taught, and I realize I've said basically half a dozen times already, but they're being taught something that is detrimental to society, something that's detrimental to the family, something that's detrimental to their own good. And the question is, well, what can you do about it? Well, therein lies the answer as well. This theology is being taught at the schools, at the government schools. Now, there's a couple of different ways to go approach this. One, you can run for school board. You can be active in the PTA, PTOs. You can push back and not allow some of the far crazy stuff that they come out, the far out weird stuff that they try and put forth as being normal, as the the, the theologically correct way to think. You can push back at that. And, and to some extent, you may be successful. You'll certainly slow it down, but ultimately they're just going to wait you out. I mean, just... For example, consider both Stalin and Hitler, which we all know who those guys are, right? The worst totalitarian examples of the 20th century other than Mao Zedong. But they both felt like it didn't matter what the parents believed. We have the children. It doesn't matter what the grandparents believe. We have the children. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we know they, they got those church faith things. You know, we're not really... That's for old people. You're better than this. You know better. That, that's the old way of thinking. This is the future. And they've been doing this. Not just there. Those same people came here. And they infested all the robes, right? I might have mentioned that a time or two. Uh, and it's not my theory. It's not even really my statement. The cultural Marxist indoctrination has gone through the robes, whether it's the judges, whether it's the professors, whether it's the preachers. They own the robes. They also own all the entertainment industry. And these folks have preached their theocratical 
understanding of the world. And it doesn't coexist well with the rest of us. Indeed, it upends and inverts much of which we believe and hold sacred. But we tolerate it. Now, at this point, I should point out that there is more than one way to deal with that as well. But we're going to drift back to the government school situation. Remember, I said you can approach it in a number of different ways. The first way is trying to work within the system, right? Run for office, whether PTO, PTA, just get involved and push back. And then there's the State Board of Education. There's a number of organizations that have some say of what goes on in the local school districts. The second piece of that would be is to actually become a teacher or a principal and start to exert a little pressure or a little pushback in that area. But let me just tell you, that's even more difficult than the first thing. Because the moment that you get out of line, you go visit HR. The moment you get sideways with that principal, you might just be out the door. The moment that you don't carry the water that the superintendent wants you to carry, you're on the outs. And being that most people, myself included, are dependent on paychecks, they're not really willing to risk their paycheck in order to do these things. Now, what is especially true in this matter is uh, you get your 10 to 14 years in now and you're looking at retirements right around the bend. It might be six years. It might be 15 years, but you know, you're halfway in at least. Do you really want to risk it all? Do you really want to put it on the line? Nah, we'll just suck it up and do this too. I mean, we see the same thing with most municipal government employees, right? Well, yeah, I got orders that are unconstitutional, but, you know, I got 12 years in on the job. I could just suck it up for eight more years. Can't be that bad. I mean, if you can't imagine that, if you can't even put yourself in those shoes, you're not being fair to those folks. So there, there's that. So the second thing you can do, well, there is private schools. You can take your children out of government schools and you can put them in a private school. Now, of course, there's a couple of things here, right? You might have to pay double or triple what you were already paying in your property tax for school. You might have to sacrifice something in order to partake in that school because most private schools want at least one of the parents to be involved or volunteering doing something at the school, which is a great idea. It gets buy-in. It gets interaction. It's a positive outcome. So that should not be poo-pooed. But it is a sacrificial action. It is something more. And of course, most of these schools are dependent upon not only people paying their tuition, but benefactors. Now, herein lies an issue that a lot of people choose not to notice. But benefactors generally like to have their way. They generally like to have a little more say in how the school runs and what happens. And that can affect what goes on in that school. And for many cases, it's just a little tiny molehill and you look past it and it's it's maybe an inconvenient thing, but it's not a problem. But it could become a problem and it's something you need to be aware of. And at the point that you're paying out three times the cost to put your child into a private school, which is 
paying your government school tax plus the tuition, which is usually about twice as much as what the government school taxes, you're looking at being out of pocket two to three times as much as if you would have just sent your kid to that government school. I know I've done both. So it's it's a challenge. And there's sacrifices there. But parents that can afford it or come close to it will often make that sacrifice in the hopes that they're reinforcing what they're teaching at home, what they're learning at church or whatever. And they want to be everybody on the same page. They want to be consistent. So then the third option. Well, you just say, I can't really afford to do private school. And government school is just out of the question. So I know we're going to homeschool. Now, when I was a kid, homeschooling was kind of a way out thing, right? It was not common at all. By the time that I was no longer a kid, then homeschooling became, oh, well, you're, you're Johnny's homeschooling or Mary's homeschooling? Oh, well, how do they get socialized? How do they get this? How do they get that? And a lot of questions, but some exceptions or acceptance. There's the word I want to use. Some acceptance. By the time my kids became, you know, upper school age, then it became, wow, look at those homeschool kids. How great they're doing. How well behaved they are. How well they interact with adults. Look at how successful they've become. Even those that don't go to college, by the way. Oh, that's something to aspire to. But even then, we're left with the issue of, well, if we homeschool, that means only one person can work. That means I have to have a smaller house. I mean, I can only really have one car. That means my entire life is going to be working around the schooling of my children. Well, that's both true and untrue, but I'm not super familiar with it, so I can't speak with authority. But again, if you're making that sacrifice for your children, it's probably a pretty good trade-off. So that's your your third option. And I know there's some folks out there that they do something called unschooling. I could get into it, but let's just say it's a version of homeschooling. How about that? Now, there is another option. And I would call it the co-op model. And that does exist. And it's basically a version of homeschooling. But just drift with me for just a moment down my mind's path let's say that you live in a part of the city that's got i don't know let's say older buildings and let's say that some families pool their money together and buy one of these older buildings so they create their own private school but this private school doesn't hire regular teachers or administrators they utilize their parents and maybe family friends and retired people to come in and teach multiple families, little Johnnies and little Marys, the various things that they want them to know. Whether it's home economics, whether it's trigonometry, whether it's biology, whether it's um, sentence um, diagramming. They work together and they teach the students and in the cost is in the time. The cost is in the investment of the building. The cost is in the development and investment into the school itself. And at a certain point, it might become self-sufficient as the families grow, as the kids get older, as there's younger kids and more kids. And it can propagate its own self to where 
Maybe we're going to learn about something that actually creates an income. Maybe we're going to spend some time growing something that we can turn around and sell. Maybe we're going to spend some time learning how to produce things that are worth value, whether it's a service or good. It's a combined effort where it's both a business and educational establishment. Now you're thinking to yourself, wow, man, this does not sound all that different than something that used to be done centuries ago. They use an apprenticeship program whereupon somebody followed their father or perhaps their uncle or maybe a good friend of the family and they learned a trade and they learned how that trade worked and they learned how to run the business and they learned all the appropriate aspects that would be necessary in order to do that. I, I fail to see where where the problem is here, I, I know it's not perfect and I know that, you know, obviously it requires some refinement and some further thought, but boy, that would be an interesting opportunity, don't you think? Now I know what you're saying. Well, there's this law and there's that law. Yeah, okay. But we're Texas. We have some of the best homeschool laws in the country. We have, I don't know, what we call the sovereign state of Texas here, where we could assert our authority and remind the feds that because of the ninth and 10th amendment, they really have no authority on certain things that aren't delegated to them. And this would be one of them. And yeah, we know you've got a department of education, which is unconstitutional, shouldn't exist. And quite frankly, is a waste of time, money and effort, but we can tell them the pound sand. Indeed, the state board of education, well, Maybe it serves a purpose and certainly provides some structure. It's also pretty much a giant money suck. And all these administrative jobs that they've created so that they can comply with rules so that they can make sure they get more money really detract from what it is that we're supposed to be getting in those government schools. And that's really part and parcel what the problem is. But we can't fix that. But we have other options. And we've talked about some of those. And that's how do you fix the foreign theology that is being taught to your students? How do you teach an appropriate theology to your students or your children? And again, even as an adult, you go back and you learn about things that maybe you don't understand fully or maybe that you would like a better understanding or maybe it's just something that sounds interesting to do. And you can share that with those kids. So we've got, we get the double answer of how to fix theology. I apologize for the uh, dog interruptions this evening. He has been rather naughty. Nevertheless, the theology that we impart to our posterity is the thought. So I'm investing my time for the next couple of months to better understand basic theology. Hopefully it'll help me be able to explain things better to other people. Hopefully it'll give me some answers to some questions that I have on occasion. And as time goes on, maybe it'll even give me a little bit better insight on how best to do this podcast. And before I go, I must... I feel obligated to kind of touch on a couple of things that I'm aware of. And some of you may know, I, uh, 
I am a member of the Republican Party, and I previously served as a precinct chair. At the moment, I am on the outside looking in because I've moved. And while I have very strong and heartfelt opinions on pretty much everything, I also realize that the same moderates that I push and pull on are on the same team. And yes, I get very frustrated and very let down when they, quite frankly, don't hold up their end of the bargain or when they get all squishy on us. I do. But I still want those people around because one, I think that leading by example causes them to gain a little more courage. That open discussion and dialogue encourages them to become more aware of what they think and what they want. I think treating them fairly and and well builds a tighter community. So even though I can get kind of rough on them on time to time, and you'll note I generally don't throw any one person out of the bus and I don't point fingers because we all have our faults. We all have our full biles, but they're on the same team. And I, and I once stood before the executive committee and I said, you know, one of the reasons why I joined the party, why I'm involved is because this group will take anybody that believes in liberty and work with them. And then I paused and said, even me. And at the time there was a number of people that were challenged with a couple of positions that I, that I held. And one of them that I held was particularly problematic for some other people. And I had to give it up. I had to say for what's best for the party, what's best for a friend of mine, what's best for what we're trying to accomplish requires me to set aside my personal belief here. This this is becoming a distraction. And that's exactly how I explained it. It is a distraction to what I is I'm trying to share. It's a distraction to my concerns for liberty. And it's a stumbling block. And you know, even Paul, or not even Paul, especially Paul warned about this in the New Testament. You know, we shouldn't be a stumbling block to our fellow man. You have liberty and you can do things and think things that maybe deviate. But if you're creating a problem, Maybe you need to reconsider. So I, I did that at that time. And, and I'm sure, depending on what happens in the future, I may have to do it on one or more issues or some other things. And it's not that I don't care about them, and it's not that I still don't think I'm right, but it's not something that I wish to break fellowship over. And what's frustrating to me is those same moderate rhino folks, whatever you want to call them. And I've been, like I said, harsh on some of them sometimes. And some of those folks actually deserve it, but most of them, they're just squishy and you can't hate on somebody for not feeling as strongly about one thing or another that you feel strongly about. But again, they're all on the same team. We're all part of a family and we have to accept warts and all our family. So I struggle with the idea that you get addition by subtraction within a political party. My concern is, and this kind of sort of ties in with the theology here, my concern is is if you're so tight 
on what's right and what's acceptable and you cast people aside and you shrink your influence in your interaction in your community, I just think that's a really good way to end up like Dallas County. And I, for one, have zero desire to end up like Dallas County. Well, folks, that is the episode. This is According to Callus, and I will see you on the other side.